in Melbourne. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, and I hope everyone's doing okay. A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole is a little podcast where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and also my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some stories, interviews and great music for like-minded rock music fans. I will choose from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, as they are stupid, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some tickets, music or merch, or listen to an old favourite album and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I've missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I will never check this email address at go fuck yourself forward slash cockgoblin. That's cock spelt with a K, and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. Seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you. The website also has Spotify playlists of all the songs used in each episode, past episodes, including the occasional bonus episode that I do, and some other golden magic. I also have small playlists of the great lesser-known artists that I highlight at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please, please rate, review, subscribe and share the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. Thanks again for checking out the podcast. And just a quick thanks to Michelle Clancy for her awesome Fries Dipped in Sundays review on the Apple app, Glenn Turtle Howard, Scott Hughes, Dave Brick for recognising my Ryan Adams joke, and James Spengler in Olympia, Washington, who listens to the podcast in his role as a vehicular propeller of disregarded itemry. Thanks, James. Thanks for the review, mate. James is also the 300th follower on Instagram, so if you want to follow the podcast on Instagram, it's a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast. Thanks again, James. Back in episode 18, I did a dig on four-syllable bands singing four-syllable songs which was super important shit. And for this episode, I started digging on three-syllable bands singing three-syllable songs, and then I realised it's an absolute monster, as so many great bands and artists are three-syllables. But anyway, I'm going to plough on through and see how long it takes. So episode 29, 3 by 3 part 1. Let's jump straight into some of the biggest artists of all time. Some of the lyrics in this first tune are inspired by Frodo Baggins. Here's the three-syllable Jimmy Page talking about his love of guitars while jamming on Led Zeppelin's great three-syllable, Ramble On.
because of the amplification and, and the tactile quality of it, you, you can hear the various sort of characteristics of each player. People have just tried to stretch the limits, come up with new techniques. So there's always something new that other people are bringing to the table that is to be reckoned with very seriously. Dynamics, light and shade, whisper to the to the thunder, sort of invite you in, sort of intoxicating. such a classic of John's. It was after we split up, so I wasn't with him when he wrote it. But it's just one of those songs when you hear it uh, for the first time, you know it's a killer. And I still love looking at footage of him singing it. Great lyric. It came out of the time politically when it was an important lyric to sing, to hear. It's got so much raw emotion in that song. Just a beautiful, beautiful song. It's probably one of his simplest songs he ever wrote. I would not be sitting here had I not have heard John Lennon saying, I know that much. It's an anthem. It's the kind of thing everyone can relate to, and it just sums a lot of things up. And it, I think it's, you know, it's got to be one of John's best songs. The piano Imagine was recorded on was purchased by George Michael in 2000 for over $2 million, and he donated it to the Beatles Museum in Liverpool, where I viewed it a few years back. The famous white grand piano from the film clip of Imagine 
is rumoured to still be owned by Yoko and may still be housed in the Dakota building in New York City. If you're listening, Yoko, drop me an email. This intro is definitely lifted by Oasis in this nugget from episode 24's In and Out. Stats on Imagine, it was the best-selling single of John Lennon's solo career, selling well over a million copies. The album, also called Imagine, was released in 1971 and topped the charts everywhere and was ranked number 80 on Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest albums of all time. And the single itself was ranked number three on Rolling Stone's 500 greatest songs of all time. Behind Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone at number one and The Rolling Stone's Satisfaction at number two. And as we have learned, with great songs comes, in this case, so much tomfuckery. There's a man there you know He's the host of the show And you'll find that he fucking hates choirs Let's move on. And as I like to say, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And in tribute to that sentiment, here's a huge case of Imagine related what the fuck, fuck, just in case you missed it if you had your head in an oven in late March 2020. And also, I want to take a second to send my deepest thanks to all the movie stars that shared their heartwarming a cappella version of Imagine to help the world deal with COVID in the early days of the pandemic. I'm not sure what shape the world would be in now without your Wonder Woman-led, oversung, iPhone-filmed-in-your-mansion gift of song. If they're all such good actors, I wonder why it's so hard to act like you live in the real world. I don't usually read YouTube comments, but I did truly enjoy reading the great comments below this fucking train wreck on YouTube. Definitely check out the comments. There's some pure comedy gold in there, bringing people together with all their hatred for this tone-deaf in two ways pile of don't forget about me and my mansion unexcellent excrement. Hey, guys. 
day six in uh, self-quarantine. And I gotta say that um, these past few days uh, got me feeling a bit philosophical. Um, you know, this virus had affected the entire world, everyone. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, we're all in this together. Um, and I saw, I ran into this video of this Italian guy playing the trumpet um, in his balcony uh, to all the other people who were locked inside their homes. And he was playing Imagine and there was something so powerful and pure um, about this video. Uh, and it, it goes like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people. Living for today. Yeah. Imagine there's no all right, let's move on. And before we totally move on, here's Joe Rogan and Tom Segura. Did you see that Imagine song that all those knuckleheads got together yeah. and sang? Yeah. Imagine there's no heaven. This is not the time when everyone's Grammy's dying, you fucking idiot, to sing Imagine There's No Heaven. And there's this sense of... You feel like they've that they feel like they did something yeah. significant. There. She's like, so happy. She's Gal like, Gadot, whatever fuck her name is, Wonder Woman. She's got this beautiful smile on her okay. face and so happy yeah. to sing that. Thank you. Just like, like she's seducing you. Yeah, I lost my job at the meatpacking plant, but Gal Gadot sang Imagine. And it's a today. terrible version. You guys suck at singing. Yeah. Why are you even singing publicly? I didn't even post, but I. Blah! I tried to do one uh, where I, I, first of all, I tried to do that where I go, imagine, and I just started laughing hysterically. <laughs> so then I did one where I go, I want to connect with all you guys, so let's just jerk off together. And I just start <laughs> re reaching in there. And then I go, I'm not used to this hand. Go, this hand, just try to connect with all my fans. Anyway, let's get back to it. One of my favorite songs by the three-syllable band The Police is the three-syllable So Lonely. And here's Sting talking about underage girls. I prefer this version now. Um, I changed the key. It was too high. I, even then, I thought it was too high. I sounded like a 12-year-old girl. But, um, you know, now I sound more manly. <laughs>
We briefly spoke of the three-syllabled Oasis before in their lifting of Imagine. On the same album as Don't Look Back in Anger, which is What's the Story, Morning Glory, is one of my absolute favourite Oasis tunes, which happens to be their first UK number one and also happens to be a three-syllabled nugget. And the tune was also the first song that Noel wrote when he moved to London from Manchester. To me, that's the archetypical Oasis song, I think. Kind of, you know, like the archetypical Beatles song is we can work it out where they go. That's what defines Beatle music, I think. Some might say defines what Oasis is. That song freaks me out because it's on Morning Glory and it doesn't, to me, when I think about it, I, don't, I think of it as a, as a, as a one-off single on its own with, with Acquiesce because it wasn't recorded at, at the Morning Glory sessions, it was done way before that. At those points, I used to write really pissed and out of it, so I can't, I can't remember what, what I was thinking about. I, don't, I, I, don't, I really don't know what it's about, to be honest, but it's in there because it's our first number one as well, and, it, and it's, nobody, nobody wrote songs like that at that time with that kind of rock and roll riff, you know, that, and we had that in fucking every tune with that. Do you remember where you were when you wrote it? I was living opposite, if anybody remembers, you might remember. No, maybe it was before your time. There's a studios in Chiswick called Eden Studios. Mm -hmm. And they had, uh, across the road, they had a house that if you were working at Eden Studios, you could rent you could rent one of the rooms in the house, but I wasn't working there. For some reason, I was living there. On top of on the top floor, above Mike Oldfield's ex-wife. Oh. Not that that has anything to do with anything. <laughs> but, um, and I wrote it over a couple of days in the top flat. And you rate it on an acoustic? It would have been. I probably wouldn't have had an electric guitar there. I remember being quite... Because I'd just moved to London, I think, was kind of out sampling the nightlife of London. And I remember kind of coming home at all hours in the morning and writing, which is why the lyrics are kind of nonsensical about dogs itching in the kitchen and all that kind of thing. I was quite hammered when I wrote it. Like, anyway. <laughs> the sink is full of fishes. Yeah. I was yeah. always thinking, I was always reading some kind of like naughty into that as, uh, as a teenager. Everybody would read different things into it and I would just agree with everyone and go, yeah, 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 yes, that's what it is. That is what it is. It's about teenage prostitution. <laughs> Where did you record the demo? I'd written this song and then I'd probably gone out on tour. When I came back, I'd moved into a flat that was owned by the Smiths in Chelsea because I'd met Johnny Marr in Manchester, hung out with Johnny, and he said, where are you living? And I said, oh, I haven't got anywhere to live. And I was to London, and I'm kind of living out of a suitcase. And he said, I've got this, I got this, uh, the Smiths have got this flat in Chelsea. So he gave me the keys, oh, and I moved into this flat. It's an amazing, amazing flat, one of the best places I've ever lived in my life. Oh, wow. And um, I'd had this song, I was so excited about it, and I thought it was going to be great that I, I wanted to do a demo of it. And at that point, I, I wasn't really big on doing demos. I mean, it was the only demo that I ever did for Morning Glory, was some might say. Wow. I'd kind of got hold of Owen Morris. He was down in Loco Studios in Wales, and he was recording what became Northern Soul by The Verve. And uh, I said, where are you? I want to do a demo. And he said, well, I'm in Wales with The Verve. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he said, but I think they're having the weekend off. So why don't you come down for the weekend? So I jumped on the train and I went down to Loco Studios and the demo is actually recorded with all the Verve's equipment. Oh wow. So that's me on so that's me playing the that's me playing the drums and the bass and all that, but it's actually it's actually Nick McCabe's rig, wow. Simon Jones's bass. Another funny thing about that is on the way back, the train broke down in the seven tunnel for a couple of hours and I actually wrote acquiesce on the way back. In the tunnel? In the tunnel. So it was what turned out one of the best weekends ever. As a fan, that's kind of pure gold, that story. Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny song in the Oasis catalogue because 
we gave up playing it pretty quickly because Liam kind of struggled with it and yeah. it, it's probably my favourite Oasis song I love it the chorus is brilliant and it was our first number one so I've always got fond memories of it Howard Stern interviewing himself while Dave Grohl listens. By the way, I mean, this is no secret. The song Hero is about Kurt Cobain, right. for, I, I, loosely based on Kurt Cobain, right? No? Nah. It's kind of more about just heroes that are ordinary. It's like ordinary every day. Wouldn't that make it Working class hero kind of crap. Yeah, but are heroes ordinary or, in other words, are you saying that they all disappoint you? No, not at all. I'm it's just saying, that they're regular people. I look up to regular people more than I look up to... Celebrities. Right. Right. Absolutely. Right. See, I have a whole different... I think it means something else. Me too. I have a whole different feeling about that song. (laughs) What's it mean, Robin? Put me on the couch, man. I think it is about Kurt Cobain. Uh, And you found out that your hero was just an ordinary guy and he couldn't handle it. See, I have a whole different thing. What do you think? I think it's about your hero is a guy who... Well, it's kind of like what you're saying who you can't believe is your hero because eventually they disappoint you. It's guys who should have been your hero and weren't. Well, yeah, you should. Yeah, it's your story. <laughs> right. I'm talking about his story. Yeah, I got a whole... Whatever. A lot of times I can't even listen to it because it makes me sad. That's good, though. That's the only kind of music I like. Check, check, check. Do you I'm like the sound the of this? Off. Why? Because he needs to I hear. I can hear myself better. Okay. Is that necessary? <laughs> the drum intro is played and then overdubbed a second time to get the huge drum sound. There was once when we did Saturday Night Live and Christopher Walken was the host. Amazing. And he comes up and he's like, he said, he asked us if the accent was on Foo or Fighters. And we know who he is. Like, of course, we know how he speaks. And we said, uh, the accent is on 
fighters, actually. So he, he goes up. How did he ask you? How did he ask you? I'm not going to say that. Oh, because uh, he goes, no, because he goes up, he's like, ladies and gentlemen, full fighters. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chris Walken. I'm hosting Saturday Night Live this week with musical guest Foo Fighters. I don't know why, but I, I assumed that you were Chinese. So as we were jamming on it and fucking around with it, 
as a joke, I did the slip it in. And they knew exactly what we were, what I was doing. And when we went to record it, they're like, dude, do that. Do the slip it in thing. I'm like, oh, no, I can't do that. There's no way. And they said, do it. You should do it. So I did it as an homage to Mr. Bill Stevenson. And then I got to meet him. And I was afraid he was going to beat me up. But he didn't because he was pretty cool. But, you know, beyond any of that crap, I'll show you one last thing. This is from when I was 12 years old. Uh, I tried to give myself a black flag tattoo when I was 12, and I never finished because it hurt too bad. And so that was in 1982, I think, or 83. So, Bill, hats off to you. You've changed my life, and I wouldn't be a drummer if it weren't for you. So, cheers. With the 44-second song I could have added in last week's Numbers in the Titles episode, the 3x3, M16, Descendants. One of my all-time favourite Melbourne bands who I have featured a heap in past episodes is the three-syllabled Body Jar. Their most well-known song is the three-syllabled Not The Same from their three-syllabled masterpiece album, How It Works. Their singer and guitar player and one of my best mates is the three-syllabled Cameron Baines, who is a three-syllabled dead set cunt. Let's move on. 
So some stats on this three-syllabled classic, I'm on Fire, by the three-syllabled Bruce Springsteen. It was the fourth of seven singles from Born in the USA, and all seven made the top 10 in the US. The album has sold about 30 million copies worldwide and won the Grammy for Album of the Year in 1985, and was ranked 85 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. I'm not sure the first line of the song would fly these days without all the Karens and Aaron's heads blowing off. I'm on fire, Bruce Springsteen. Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go and leave you all alone? I got a bad desire. Oh, I'm on fire. Tell me now, baby, is it good to you? And can he do to you the things that I do? Oh, no. I can take you hard. Like someone took a knife, baby, edgy and dull And cut a six-inch valley through the middle of my skull At night I wake up with the sheets soaking wet And a freight train running through the middle of my head Only you, you cool my desire The next song was written the day Kurt Cobain killed himself, which was the 5th of April 1994, and was often listed on the band's set list under another three-syllable name, Nirvana. It has the brutal line, And I'd rather be shot in the face than hear what you have to say. And the great line, It's always funny till someone gets hurt and then it's just hilarious. And I've always loved the two-part harmony vocal in the verses. Ricochet by Faith No More. Speaking of the three-syllable Kurt Cobain and his three-syllable band Nirvana, here's a three-syllable song by them that also has an interesting two-part vocal verse. And we heard a little bit of it in episode 23's Body Parts for the Hymen, Heart Shaped Box by Nirvana. 
I may have already used every song from the Darkness's debut album, Permission to Lamb, except for this one, I'm not sure, with one of my favourite ad-libs of all time before the solo, Friday Night by The Darkness. to the podcast a bit you'll know that at the end of each episode i like to add a song by a lesser known act that fits the week's episode topic but on occasions i have new or old friends releasing current music too that don't fit the theme so i'm just going to drop the occasional bit of a song into the middle of the episode last week we heard the bits and jody and this week is my buddy lisa crawley who i've mentioned in two or three episodes before and she's just released a single called looking for love Check out the Golden Magic tab on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, to see the film clip for Looking for Love. And to hear some more of Lisa's great music, check out the Victims tab on the website too. Lisa moved from New Zealand to Australia to LA chasing her dreams, so it'd be great if you could give her a listen or give her a nudge on the old socials. Lisa Crawley, Looking for Love. down you're out for the evening time is up regretfully leaving hope so high keep chasing that feeling it's never enough fairy tale was less than enchanted full of charm but still there's no magic on your own it's not how you planned it but you're not giving up You're looking for love You keep looking for So as I said, you can check out the whole song on the Victims tab or the Golden Magic tab of the website. Another mini episode within an episode. You may 
recall we first showcased this band last year on our trip down under in Auckland, New Zealand. Hometown of frontman and lead singer Neil Finn, Crowded House has just released its fourth album called Together Alone. Alone Together. Together Alone. Together Alone. There we go. <laughs> We're here. They're here in the States, and so we figured this was as good an excuse as any to invite them back for an encore chat and performance. So we welcome again Neil Finn, along with Paul Hester and Nick Seymour, who I should note are Australian, and Mark Hart, the lone American. How are you guys all doing? Good. good. You've been busy since we saw you last. We were there with you on a, on a rainy day in yeah. Auckland. Oh, uh, the weather, it weather held for us, didn't it? Yes, it Dust. did. It did. Just barely. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I got a bit rained on. You recorded this last album. If I remember correctly, the other ones were done in L.A. Yeah. Now, this last one you went out to, is it called Kerry Kerry? Yeah. Kerry Kerry. Kerry Kerry. I think it's on the western side of New Zealand. Little remote area. Any of you at home who saw the movie Piano, yeah. I think that they the filmed beach. it yeah. in the same beach. We actually yeah. recorded the album in the house that Harvey Keitel lived in. Yeah, and while we, he was there doing the movie? Then we found some stuff of his. And yeah. we've got to return yeah. it while we're here. <laughs> we have a mutual friend there as well, Madonna the Pig, who yes. lived down the road. Yeah. I think took a great shine to Harvey. Yeah. You mean like a, a, real, a real life pig. little pig? Yeah, a little pig, yeah, a little, pig, yeah, yeah, a little okay. um, Samoan pig. But how did, did it make the music different? Uh, the pig was very influential. No, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, uh, I mean, getting out of LA and going to this little remote place. Yeah, and it did. Well, it made it. It was like a, a real experience. It was like an adventure. Despite no, no matter what the album turned out like, it was sort of worth being there anyway. And we had two months with these two weirdo producers from Brit Britain. We brought them out and it blew their minds. And did um, you get on each other's nerves? No, no. No? Was it, so it was a good experience. It's just as long as you stand there, we'll be all right. All right. Yeah. I'll stand over here with the lone American. Has this been a good experience, though, being uh, down under, as they say? But that's a long way, as we well learn, a long way from home. It's very far, yes. Is it, how do you enjoy it? Do you miss the United States, or? Sometimes. There we go. No. <laughs> and he is the quiet, the quiet one of the group. Oh, what a cute little accent. That was a nice little got. bonding thing, though. That was a good Wait bonding a thing you guys got going. He though. doesn't have an accent. Oh, a cute little accent. Yeah. Cute, do I have that same cute little accent? We don't have the accent. You have the accent. No, not well, us. No, we don't have an accent. No? No. All right. Well, you can judge that as they sing, because the song is called Distant Sun, and it is from the new Crowded House album, their fourth and most acclaimed so far, Together Alone. Take it away, guys. You would change. I don't pretend to know what you want when you come around and spin my talk time and again, time and again. No fire where I lit my spark. I am not afraid of the dark. Will your words devour my heart and put me to shame? When your seven worlds collide Whenever I am by your side And dust from a distant sun Will shower over Crowded House's frontman and songwriter's new band is also a huge three-syllabled band, and that band's Fleetwood Mac. Kiwi music legend Neil Finn has done it all, sung it all, from split ends to Crowded House. But when one of the world's biggest acts, Fleetwood Mac, offered Neil a lead role in their band, he just could not say no. 
though stepping straight into playing alongside Stevie Nicks and co isn't as easy as you might think. Joy Reid meets Neil and the man himself, Mick Fleetwood, in London. It's showtime at Wembley Stadium. And the new guy in supergroup Fleetwood Mac is leaving nothing to chance. Checking arrangements, um, you know, making sure your hair's good. <laughs> it looks great. So I was less concerned in the old days, actually. I'm a bit more concerned now because everyone's hair's so damn good in this band. They're pouring in by the thousands, hoping a rock band who've bewitched audiences on and off the stage for more than 50 years can still make magic. And tonight, Fleetwood Mac is counting on their newest member to help them deliver a Kiwi, Neil Finn. Kiwis love to see you hop into such an iconic band. They'll be rooting for you. Well, yeah, no, some of them will be worried for me as well. They'll be going, God, I hope he doesn't mess up. Last to be offered something at this point in my life that's a musical adventure, playing thrilling music with a great band uh, that I didn't see coming. How could Neil Finn have ever predicted this? After all, Fleetwood Mac formed in England while Neil was at primary school. You were just nine years old. Really, was I only nine? Was that, ni was that 1967 when they started? Yeah. God, I didn't even realise. Okay, you, you know more about this already <laughs> than I do. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible history uh, unlike any other band, I think. Fleetwood Mac are rock's greatest soap opera. A superstar circus of scandal, drugs and money played out in some of the most popular songs ever. We have the Queen movie, Elton John, obviously the movie. When on earth are we going to get a Fleetwood Mac biopic? Lord have mercy, straight in the deep end. Absolutely. It would make a great movie. Is it coming? Not that I know of, but we're rather stupid. <laughs> Drummer Mick Fleetwood is anything but stupid. In 1974, he brought in Lindsay Buckingham and his singer-girlfriend, Stevie Nicks. Their first album together made Fleetwood Mac global superstars. But the next almost destroyed them. John and Christine broke up. Lindsay and, and Stevie had split up, then you started having an affair with Stevie, I mean... Much how, later on. <laughs> how on earth did you keep going during all this drama? Because we loved what we were doing. Um, and I don't speak to that lightly. All five members of Fleetwood Mac were in emotive disarray. And everyone was speaking in tongues through their songs singing on a microphone to someone that's just left you. Sort of unbelievable. If you wrote it down in a script, you say, well, I don't think we can put that scene in there. They'll never believe it. That's where the movie comes in. <laughs> that's where the movie comes in. The resulting album Rumours, a musical litany of squabbles, betrayal and heartbreak, sold 40 million copies. The money poured in, and along with it... Lots of drugs. Fortunately, not drugs that would really be 
worse than worse than worse, we stayed with what we would call a sort of cocaine, alcohol-induced situation, especially me. But the general haze around Fleetwood Mac is legitimate. You know, it was one big party. The truth is, it turned out to be a nightmare, but it was part of our lives. Do you guys remember, you know, that first time you met? I do. Yeah? Seriously do, yeah. yeah. And? In London? Yeah. Wasn't it? It was in London at the Albert Hall. Yeah. Uh, after the show, we we sat and I, I actually sort of was fantasizing about forming a band with him. And I don't know whether he really remembers that, but do you no, remember, the, conf- thought I was no, I remember the conversation? And uh, you know, it's enormously flattering to to be standing in a room with Mick, um, having not met him before, and him saying, "We should form a band." <laughs> okay. Actually, that's one thing I know he knows a lot about. <laughs> I should take that seriously. It'll come true at some point. And 20 years later, it did. We were literally walking out the door and I got the call from Mick. And I just had this kind of funny grin on my face and my wife, Sharon, kept walking by and I was going, uh, you will never guess what we're talking about. And so I said, of course, I can't give you an answer this minute, Mick, because I was flummoxed um, as and about it. So you actually had to think about the proposition, though? I, yeah, you have to, don't you? I mean, you know, it's it's a wonderful uh, thing to, to have an offer like that come through out of the blue, but ultimately it's three human beings singing together. If the blend isn't right, uh, it's not meant to be. As it turned out, we immediately sounded good together. So it felt right? Yeah, it felt right. It, it was totally that. Introduce your new members. This is Mr. Neil Finn. Hello. Vocals, guitar, fantastic. And just like that, live in front of millions, Neil Finn was officially in Fleetwood Mac. You're 61. You're the baby in the band. It is really good for me to be the youngest in the band again. I was the youngest in Split Ends when I joined. Um, and it's a, it, even though you are the one that gets sent down to get the sandwiches and, um, and stuff, and they remind you, you know, I'm enjoying the role. But actually, they don't act like uh, seven-year-olds, actually, to be honest. Fleetwood Mac's last US Top 10 song was in 1987, and it was the three-syllable Little Lies. From the album Tango in the Night, which was the last Fleetwood Mac studio album to feature the classic lineup, Mick Fleetwood, John McVeigh, Christine McVeigh, Lindsay Buckingham, and Stevie Nicks. This is the three-syllabled Iggy Pop in 1977. Tell me about punk rock, because I have heard, I've read well, all kinds of reviews of... Well, I'll tell you about punk rock. Punk okay. rock is a word used by dilettantes. Okay. And, uh, and uh, heartless manipulators about music that takes up the energies and the bodies and the hearts 
and the souls and the time and the minds of young men who give what they have to it and give everything they have to it. And it's a, it's a term that's based on contempt. It's a term that's based in fashion, style, elitism, Satanism, and everything that's rotten about rock and roll. <laughs> what I can't figure is whether you're, you're acting against that label. You don't like the label. I'm not acting. No, I know. Reacting against the label then. Respond, responding angrily to the label. You don't like the label. Is that right? I don't like to hear it come out of someone's mouth. Okay. What do you like to hear it come out of? <laughs> One of the first punk rock singles released in February 1976 was the three-syllabled Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones. It was the opening track on their debut album and it was ranked number 92 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. And I've always loved Joey's super original vocal delivery. song was written as a tribute to American country singer, another three-syllabled artist, Charlie Rich, who died in 1995. And the song is Heavy Heart by UMI. Been watching so much TV I'm thinner than I should be I'm like a waterlogged ball No one wants to kick around anymore all day morning hairdo That no con can get through It's all granola and beer And the calling card and the silk cut souvenir I miss you like sleep And there's nothing romantic about the hours I keep The morning's when it starts I don't look so sharp now I've got a heavy heart. Talk a lot. Another Aussie classic written and mostly sung by the band's three-syllabled guitarist, Ian Moss, who is a great, great singer too, of the three-syllabled Cold Chisel with their three-syllabled nugget, Bow River. I'm going to edit out the middle bit so you can hear Mossy singing the verse and then the three-syllabled Jimmy Barnes singing together in the chorus and then Barnsy kill the bridge. Water 
picking up my feet again I don't want to see the star no more Wasting my days on a factory floor The first thing you know I'll be back in my river Aussie 3 by 3 song and here's drummer and great singer Rob Hurst talking about The Dead Heart by Midnight Oil and he chats about the excellent B minor to B major key change which I've always loved. So anyway, Dead Heart started off really slow, was much slower when I brought it into Jim for comments which was that. We done, everything's in B by the way in Midnight Oil because Chisel had already taken E and the Angels had taken A. <laughs> And we, we didn't even think about C and G, all those folky chords. So it had to be B. So everything's in B if you listen to We don't serve your country, don't serve your king. Oh, your custom, don't speak your tongue. White men came to So that was originally way slow like that. Jim said, why don't we kick it up to speed? You know, like saying, so like, um, Then I thought, yeah, that's, that's more like it because even though we wrote it before we went on the desert trip, we've done enough desert driving to know that if you, if you get in a hire car, an old, an old Toyota, and you bash it, you bush bash it, all those corrugations on the road start hammering away on them. <laughs> and it starts like to... All this kind of thing. So I thought, that's, that's cool. So it's a desert song. So we've got this axle going up and down. So when Nick Lorne came to produce it, which he did so beautifully, 
um, who suggested that to give that mechanical feel, I didn't actually play the bass drum, it's, it's a lean drum bass drum, which gives it that, like every beat's the same, because we wanted that idea of a mechanical, like the bottom falling out of a Toyota sound. So. <laughs> so then we got the original verse, which I wrote, and then Tim said, make it faster. And then, um, I'd written, but we hadn't found a place, so I added it to the. Carry our hearts in true country that cannot be stolen. Following the steps of our ancestry that cannot be broken. And then the really cool part, which is this do do part, which Jim suggested, which is in a kind of minor feel. It's actually. B with no third chord for the guitar player, so we'll notice. But it's a minor feeling. So Which is great. But the part that seems shivered out my spine, if not yours, is something the classical musicians call tears to Piketty, which is where you get the feeling of a minor going to a major. And you sort of take a breath in, and that's, once again, Jim's genius to change that just before the vocal comes in from a minor to a major. So this is the effect of it. So. I did Paul McCartney write Let It Be. I had a dream. It was in the years when we were probably overdoing everything, drinking and getting, staying out too late and getting crazy. So I was a bit sort of exhausted and I went to bed. Anyway, I had a dream and my mother, who died probably about 10 years previously, was in the dream. She came to me in the dream. It's a magic moment because you're actually there with your mother. So she seemed to know that I was a bit stressed out, and she said, don't worry, it's, it's, it's gonna be fine. Just let it be. And I thought, wow. And just felt really great that my mother had given me that advice, and woke up and was just remembering the dream, and I thought, what did she say? She said, let it be. And so I thought that was a great idea for a song, so I uh, went to the piano and, and wrote it. Yeah. 
This will, this is gonna knock you out, boy. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be, 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 whisper words of wisdom, let it be, and when the broken... Let It Be was the last single released by the Beatles while they were still a band. They did release more singles after Let It Be, but Paul had announced his departure. The song was first tinkered with during the recording of the White Album in 1968, but the final recording was made in January 1969. The song was voted at number 20 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time and was a number one single everywhere. In an earlier demo, Paul sang about brother Malcolm. When I find myself in times of heartache, Brother Malcolm comes to me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be Brother Malcolm was a reference to Mal Evans, who was the Beatles' roadie. I feel like I may have discussed Mal Evans' death somewhere in the podcast, but he was killed by police in 1976 when they mistook an air rifle he was holding for an actual rifle. Check out episode 27 a few weeks ago for how Mal Evans sort of helped Paul McCartney come up with the name Sergeant Peppers. And obviously a huge song comes with the usual fuckery. Okay, I shall let that be, and I'm also going to let part one of 3x3 be, as last week's episode was a monster, and I'm sick of my own voice, and I'm sick of saying the word syllable. Thanks again for listening. I hope your part of the world is open or opening up. Fingers crossed these lockdowns in Australia are shorter than my tolerance for politics and choirs. Please rate, review, and share the podcast if you're digging it, and follow me on Instagram and Facebook, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast. At the end of each podcast, I like to add a lesser-known artist who fills the episode's topic. And for this week, I'm featuring Melbourne singer and guitarist Trent Jancer's three-syllable band, Silverback, with Wasting Time. Head over to the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, and check out the Victims tab to hear some more of Silverback's music and also Lisa Crawley's music too. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week for part two of 3x3. See ya.